Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is Comfort, Comfort Films. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of Comfort Films. Episode 21, our baby can drink. <laughs> we're so proud. Yeah. We're so proud. Buy Comfort Films beer this week because mm-hmm. it can drink. Get it some shooters. It's legal. Yeah. <laughs> some shooters. Yeah. Give it a 20 to take and, you know, play on the ponies. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh that would be quite an evening. Some alcohol and some betting on the ponies. <laughs> How about some uh, Baccarat? <laughs> Baccarat. Baccarat. Yeah. I love saying that. Baccarat. Or roulette. Roulette. I don't know. Texas don't Hold'em is, is very fun, but all I think of is thick toast. <laughs> Texas, <laughs> Texas Toast Hold'em. Yeah. That'd be That's my when kind of you one. just eat a lot of Texas toast. <laughs> you just hold up your pieces of toast and you measure it against other pieces of Texas toast, okay. and the largest slice wins. All right. I mean, that's a game I think we really could get behind. We love Texas toast. Texas toast them. <laughs> okay. So, what we're talking about this week is Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, we couldn't split them up because no way. they're. They're two distinct movies, but they're so connected, and we love both of them so much. Yeah, and we're huge James Gunn people. Oh, yeah. And when we get into characters that we really like, we don't want to leave. We want to stick around, Yeah. you know? But, I mean, mainly for me with this, there was kind of, like, no way I could talk about one or the other of these without talking about the other. Yeah, it's so impossible. It's like, oh, if I'm talking about Guardians 1, I'm gonna talk about something that happens in Guardians 2, so... We just said, let's be, make it simple and just do both. Yeah, because otherwise... just admit it. <laughs> admit what we've done. Because otherwise, <laughs> I'd be, like, conspicuously walking around certain topics. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, and that being said, we probably are going to do that. I mean, I think we always give, like, a light spoiler warning here at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Just to let you know that we could talk about anything and everything that happens in the movie. Yeah. Um, and, of course, this is part of the Marvel Universe. Which has a lot, a lot, a lot of other movies. So many movies. So it is possible that we could mention something that affects another movie or spoils another Marvel movie as well. Mm-hmm. So be cautious if be you're concerned warned. about it. Um, I don't think we are planning to do that, to talk about any other Marvel movies, but there's overlapping characters, themes, yeah. MacGuffins. <laughs> so there's really kind of no way to avoid that happening at least a little bit. Um, and we may also talk about Peacemaker, because we yes. love it. Yeah, we... Peacemaker, <laughs> season two, greenlit, yes! So, if you guys haven't seen that, that's another James Gunn series that's kind of a spinoff of his Suicide Squad movie that he did mm-hmm. um, with John Cena as the character Peacemaker, and it just finished season one, and we adored it yeah. so much. Even just the opening credits, you know, that opening song and dance number to the song Do You Want to Taste It by the band Wigwam. Yeah, I mean, the song was so catchy, mm-hmm. I literally will never not be singing it in my head. <laughs> I mean, like, it's almost to the point where I'm just like, stop, you're killing me, but don't, because I love it. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the dance is so offbeat and weird, 
Which is just James Gunn's amazing humor that you and I both respond to heavily. Big time. And the great thing about the show is that it has all the things that he does that we love. The sense of humor is there. You know, the offbeat, the the craziness, mm -hmm. the wild characters, the music. Yeah, oh, the music. Yeah. Yes. And Guardians, I mean, especially. I mean, you have two awesome mixes to talk about amazing i mean we could really do an episode just on the music yes when i looked at the songs i was like woo should we rank them because you know i'm big on that <laughs> ranking, love ranking. Thing, right? well that's the funny thing with marvel we did you know the reason we picked guardians for a superhero week for the like the marvel side is because consistently when we're ranking which we do mm -hmm. over and over <laughs> I mean, how many times would you think we've gone through that ranking quiz? I would say a solid five. Yeah, at least. Mm -hmm. um, every time there's a new Marvel movie, we kind of add it to the mix to see how much we like it. And yeah. add, there's this kind of ranking thing, a um, little tool that helps you determine which Marvel movies are your favorite. And it, it goes through every single movie. And consistently, Guardians 1 and 2 rank in our top two. Yeah. They're Both always right there. Separately. Yeah. With Thor Ragnarok generally number three for me. I think that would be the same for me as well. Yeah. I think that would be the same for me as well. Well, Taika Waititi also has that offbeat sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Lots of color and and good sound and things like that, too. So, And the soundtrack on that movie is bomb, too. Oh, it's great. So, yeah, those are our top three out of the Marvel Universe so far. Although they keep pumping out great movies, we're going to keep watching them. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so we are doing superhero for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. um, this week we decided to do Marvel. Next week we're going to talk Batman. Yeah. Um, we don't know which Batman. There's Not so, at all. There's so many. <laughs> but the Batman is coming out at the end of, uh, or sorry, the beginning of March. Which we're looking forward to. We've already got our tickets. And so, you know, we're looking forward to talking about just superheroes in general for a couple weeks at least. Um, and then Batman next week. Well, and then also, I mean, let's talk about the fact that like they're running out of names <laughs> yeah. for the Batman movies. Well, I know. I was, at first I was like, the Batman. Yeah. That's yeah. presumptuous. Why not, <laughs> why not a Batman? <laughs> you know, some Batman. Some Batman. <laughs> Three men and a little Batman. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe three Batman and a little penguin. Ooh, that's solid. That's solid. These are the these are the movies we want to make. Batman fellas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, James Gunn would definitely make all of these. Oh, he would. And I would watch them. I'd be happy to watch these. So anyway, Guardians of the Galaxy. Try to get focused. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, these are great movies. We watched them again, double header, this week. I still love them. It's been actually quite a while since we watched these. Yeah. I think, like, kind of before Endgame came out, maybe we we did them again because we were trying to kind of go through everything um, in advance of that movie. Mm -hmm. So I think that may be the last time I've watched them. So this may be the first time I've gone back since then. Yeah, because we definitely powered through all, what, 23, 26 movies? I don't... I didn't even presume to know the number. I yeah. just know that it was... A lot. Well, do you remember when we went for Marvel's 15th anniversary yes. and we got to see Guardians 1 and 2? It was awesome. Yeah. 
Well, we saw them at the theater to begin with. I remember we saw Guardians 1 mm-hmm. at uh, TCL Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard, mm-hmm. I believe. So that was awesome. I think that was the first time we went there. Wow. And it was awesome. Wow. First time. Wow. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a great initiation right that's there. The, that's the theater with all the footprints and stuff in the front of it for people who are not uh, from here. It used to be called Grauman's Chinese Theater, and now it's TCL. But yeah, I'm pretty sure we went there for this. And then I remember seeing the second one out in Van Nuys. Yes, because we, that's where we could get tickets. Yeah, that was and like we the one like, place. We were like not going to chance not getting to see it on the first day, because we love it so much. Well, that that was the thing. That theater in Van Nuys, we had great success there. We did. With like Star Wars Rogue One. I mean, we didn't buy in advance. We just no, showed up and rolled day. in. Yeah. Yep. Like five minutes before. Like we just showed up. Yeah, that was very un- like irresponsible of us, but... <laughs> Whatever. It worked out. It felt good because it was like the old days where you didn't have to think about picking your seat or, you know, anything. I guess just picking your seat. I like the spontaneity well, yeah. of it. You know, you just show up like, what do you have? I think yeah. I'll take one of those. Well, like, I mean, especially right now, there's just so few big movies coming out mm-hmm. that I think you kind of do have to pre-plan like we pre-plan with The Batman. Yeah, The Batman wasn't an event that we were going to miss. <laughs> well, we almost blew it on Spider-Man. The Spider-Man? No, just Spider-Man. <laughs> oh, shoot. The Spider-Man's coming out next week, too. <laughs> the the batman oh, the man. joker i guess it's kind of like cuz of the joker okay but it's not the guardians of the galaxy it's just guardians of the galaxy see there could be other guardians of the galaxy they're leaving room for it i like that they're not saying we are the guardians of the galaxy there's there there's some or of them. some guardians guardians of the galaxy we could be guardians ourselves right here in the closet we could be we could be a spaceship for all you know right <laughs> and this is just our projection yeah. this could be our breathing apparatus and food <laughs> this what you would call clothing all around us I... yeah <laughs> watches georgia eats one of her blouses <laughs> yeah. you see that's nourishment that was not tasty but i did pick a colorful one yeah I mean, we that's what I think. I mean, like, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy, colorful movie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But we love being in our bedroom closet and talking to you guys. <laughs> I mean, that's really, that's really it. There's no, uh, there's no greater <laughs> thing. But it would be awesome if we were aliens and we were just like floating around in some flying saucer, yeah. you know, just masquerading that we're in a closet in North Hollywood talking to you about movies, you know? Yeah. I mean, I have to imagine. That Peter Quill probably did pretend to be doing a radio show sometimes when he was alone in the uh, spaceship. Absolutely. He's a playful guy. He would go for that. He definitely would. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we first meet him, he's listening to his music Mm -hmm. and going to just steal the main MacGuffin of the first movie. Um, That's when we first meet him as an adult. There's a bit of a prequel that sets up his whole arc um, with losing his mother and being kidnapped from Earth at a young age. Is that a prequel? <laughs> prequel. <laughs> Is that a prequel? Uh, that's so gross, but so funny. Really good, good work there. Thank you. I mean, well, the music is showcased from the beginning. Yeah. And when we see him on the planet, 
first stealing. He's dancing around, listening to his awesome mix, Volume 1. He's got his headphones on. And I love it when he just picks up a lizard, a live lizard, and uses it as like a a microphone. (laughs) He starts singing into it. And it's just like, what is going on? Um, I love it. It's so funny. Um, And yeah, this guy, like, you know, I get the feeling this is a guy who doesn't like being alone, but has been alone a lot. So he ends up, you know, finding ways to entertain himself. You know, and it's like he loves music so much and he mm-hmm. has only has this one mixtape yeah. in space to keep him company, which is crazy. Well, he is particular about his company, though, because when he's leaving his first heist where he gets the orb, yeah, he gets into his ship, he gets away, and then he realizes that he has a visitor yeah. from the previous day. Yeah, he's still got a girl. Yeah, Barit. <laughs> leftover yeah and he goes <laughs> i'm just going to be completely honest with you i totally forgot that you were still here <laughs> yeah. i mean that's such a great setup for what kind of character we're dealing with here yeah. no but that i mean yeah he the the major point i think i was trying to make was that he has this relationship with his mother who mm-hmm. he loses yeah and that kind of is um it casts a whole Paul over the entire first movie in a certain way and even into the second well especially because the i would say the core audience for this is the older group our group yeah and at this point a lot of us have gone through difficult times their parents or lost yeah our parents you know absolutely and you know the thing with him is he loves all of this 80s pop culture i mean Mm -hmm. i'm guessing i haven't really done the math because we know i don't do that when i don't when i like, unless I'm forced at gunpoint. <laughs> but I'm guessing he's around the same age we are. And uh, at the time that his mother passes and he's kind of swept away from Earth by Yondu and the Ravager crew, mm-hmm. he's, what, like eight, maybe? I don't know. He's a young kid. Yeah. They take him in 1988 <laughs> because that's that's when we go to the hospital. We see the mother in her final moments with brain cancer. Yeah. And yeah, and he, um, yeah, the spaceship shows up, sucks him up into it, and he's gone. Yeah. Um, and he's a young kid. Like, I would say, yeah, 8 to 10 kind of years old area. And you and me would have been around that same age at that same time. So it's something where I can really relate to the kind of media that he was consuming. Sure. And then it's kind of like he's in an arrested development with that. It's yeah. Because he didn't see any of like the 90s pop culture that came afterwards no he's just like got this 80s pop culture and he still has like a kid's attachment to it sure so i I think that's pretty fun for us at our age well and he's also looking for heroes i mean he's looking for you know who makes him feel cool he's looking for david hasselhoff of course, right, yes. and you know he's in Night Rider. Night Rider is like my favorite show when I was a kid. Right, I had it, and Kit was a big car. It was a big plastic car, and in the front, you know, it had that red light that went back and forth, that sensor. Yeah, and it was so cool, but it was the the size of the Hasselhoff was like the big old G.I. Joe size, just about. It was much larger than usual. Yeah. It wasn't like the smaller G.I. Joe, Star Wars kind of, you know, I'd say regular size that yeah. we were used to. It was bigger. A great, great toy. I loved it. 
Yeah, I I loved Knight Rider. I thought it was the coolest ever. I wanted to have a kit car. Oh, so good. And the song? Yes. Everything do, about that show cool. So, yeah, basically we're like Peter Quills over here. You know, you had to imagine, like, being in space to him was just like being like Luke Skywalker or probably more Han Solo in his case. I Yeah, well, Han Solo, there are so many comparisons here. I mean, we've got the Indiana Jones. Yeah, because like the beginning there with this, after he does his kind of song and dance sequence on this planet mm -hmm. and actually gets down to the business of what he's there for, which is to steal this orb, it's very similar when he gets into the room with it to me of like the Raiders of the Lost Ark's opening scene. Sure, where, I can see that. Uh, Indiana Jones is like stealing that statue off the pedestal mm -hmm. um, and you know you just definitely have the feeling that Peter knows Indiana Jones and loves it and probably you know is you know used to playing like he's Indiana Jones you know that would have been one of his big heroes too like us oh yeah Indiana Jones was such an influence yeah I remember seeing Raiders I remember seeing Temple of Doom I remember seeing Last Crusade and it was a big franchise. I used to have the Indiana Jones official hat. I mean, I think we've talked about it before, but I never actually watched those until I was much older. Mm. Um, but I'm very sad because that kind of action-adventure stuff is the kind of stuff I would have really liked. It's the good stuff. Yeah. It's an adventure where you go around the world and you have all of these puzzles. Yeah. Which I love. And you love all of these ancient mazes and temples. And yeah. I love learning secret stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know? I played some Indiana Jones video game. I love that. Um, a Atlantis? couple of different ones. I did that one. Yes. But I also had another one that was even earlier that I played on, like, the Commodore 64. So I was familiar with Indiana Jones, but I didn't see the movies until I was in my 20s, actually. Which mm. is crazy, but, you know, my life. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought that there's definitely a callback to that opening Raiders scene at the very beginning of Guardians. Well, we also have even more Indiana Jones in there. Because when they're on Nova Prime, and we have Rocket, Groot, Gamora, Peter Quill, all fighting for the orb. This is very reminiscent of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Okay. Okay, in one of the early scenes, they're in Club Obi-Wan. <laughs> Yes, love Obi-Wan. They are there. <laughs> um, and when I went to see Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom with my parents, my mother's not a big action horror person. Right. You know? And at the very beginning, they're doing a number from Anything Goes, and they have these beautiful costumes oh, and singing and, you know, Kate <laughs> so Capshaw. She, and, yeah. She thinks it's some, like, I don't know, old Hollywood <laughs> movie or something oh no yeah so it's just like i was really glad she was able to enjoy that brief portion yeah <laughs> you know? and then the shooting starts yeah. yeah i mean it got pretty wild <laughs> so to cut to the chase there is a diamond that actually is what indiana jones is after mm -hmm. and it gets dropped on the floor in a bucket of ice oh gosh and then a fight breaks out yeah and then balloons fall to the floor and there are all of these champagne corks that actually cover the sound of guns. Then there's a man that gets killed with an enormous skewer. <laughs> and Indiana Jones is also poisoned. 
<laughs> as well. And not only does he want to find the diamond, but he wants to find this small bottle of antidote rolling around oh on the God. floor. Yeah, so it's it's a very fast-paced, action-y sequence. And it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is just, this reminds me of Nova Prime. That's funny. I never would have made that connection, but I totally see it now that you're saying it. Yeah. Because, yeah, they're all scrambling after this orb. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know if everybody knows. I mean, Gamora is getting it for Ronan, or is supposed to be trying to get it for Ronan, but it's actually trying to get it not for Ronan. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, a lot of moves. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's double-crossing him. And then Peter is trying to get it to fence it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't know why Rocket and Groot are trying to get it. Is it just because other people are trying to get it? <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, it's my maybe they were looking for the money as well. I'm yeah, not sure. That's possible. I'm not. I I agreed with you with Peter. I'm not sure if he was doing it for a bounty, but that seems right. Well, I think that th- that Yondu was supposed to be getting it for a bounty. Right. And then Peter just was like, oh, well, I'll just do it myself. Like, yeah. Because then he's in trouble with Yondu. Yeah. Because, like, he kind of, it feels like he kind of works for Yondu, but he's kind of terrible and also wants to work for himself. Sure, yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, he's, that's just the kind of person Peter is. A lot of independent contractors. And yeah, guardians. yeah, no, that's for sure. <laughs> and then we also have another moment where they're on the prison planet Kiln, okay? Yes. And when they're leaving, Peter actually makes mention of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, which, I didn't remember that. <laughs> yeah, direct call out <laughs> yes. to uh, Raiders uh, well, of the Lost Ark. So, for sure. You know, we, we've got that. And then we also have. You know, kind of the double layer, because Harrison Ford, also famously Han Solo. Of course, yes. Right? And then when we're on Kiln, which is a prison planet, and they're going through this hallway, that hallway scenically reminds me of the Death Star, where they broke out Princess Leia. Okay. And we have so many Han Solo similarities, because we have that scene where Peter is flying away through the asteroid field. Oh, yeah. Right? Totally. Han Solo. Just like Empire. So, I mean, we have that piece. We have, you know, we also have just the general kind of cavalier attitude. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I would have to think that Peter Quill would want to be like Han Solo. Oh, sure he would. Like, I was more of a wanting to be like Luke Skywalker kid. Um, and, you know, Han doesn't... Han has, like, the gun... Mm-hmm. but not the the lightsaber. Right. Um, and I was more interested in the lightsaber. Lightsaber's great, but Han does use it in Empire Strikes Back. Yes. Because when they're on Hoth, and he finds Luke, who's freezing, he uses the lightsaber to cut open the belly of the Tauntaun. So gross. And shove Luke in there. What's even wilder is that that was an action figure, the Tauntaun. Oh, God, you could open it? You could open his stomach, and you would shove Luke in. Not a joke. Not a joke. (laughs) That is foul. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy. And you know what else is crazy? All the similarities between our Guardians of the Galaxy characters and our Star Wars characters. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I think with any type of movie that's kind of like a hero type movie, Mm -hmm. you're going to have like a similar journey and similar character templates. Sure. The hero's journey. Yeah. Uh, But this one is slightly different because it's like the anti-heroes kind of almost. I mean, they're heroes, but they're also anti-heroes. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I totally got you off track. No, you didn't. (laughs) You're right on track with me. The characters in this. Okay. Let's think about it. So we have Groot, okay, mm-hmm. and then we have Rocket. Right. These two, if you think about it, are similar to R2-D2 and C-3PO, <laughs> okay? Okay. And Rocket is like, you know, a bitter, you know, foul-mouthed C-3PO, <laughs> but that's him. He's a very intelligent guy, and he was manufactured in a lab. And yeah. he's got some mechanical bits on the back of him from where they experimented on him. So it's almost like he's a bit of a robot. That's okay. okay. I can see it. And my favorite thing about this comparison is how horrified C-3PO would be <laughs> that he's being compared to this little trash panda. Oh, he would hate it. He would hate it so much. <laughs> he would hate it so much. And I would love it. But yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because Rocket, like I said, favors C-3PO more when he is the smaller in stature. Yeah. When C-3PO is the taller being. Right. In Star Wars. Whereas Groot is the big guy here. Yes. And Groot, okay, I mean, he is like R2-D2 because of the way that he speaks. All he says is, I am Groot. Mm-hmm. Just like R2-D2 beeps. Right. And at first, only C-3PO understands R2-D2. Then as time goes on, other people understand him as well. <laughs> like I am, like Groot. Yes. Same, like Rocket yes. is always interpreting for Groot. Yes. Until people start to get it. Yes. That's, that's really funny and awesome connection. Thanks. And I mean, also, okay, now this is where we double up a little. When we take a look at Groot, he also is like Chewbacca. I can really see that. Yeah, I can really see that. Because he, again, it's like the language barrier. Because mm-hmm. Chewie just kind of does that grunting sound, whatever. I can't do it, so I'm not going to. Oh, that was, <laughs> I don't know what that was. <laughs> that was like, <laughs> it's like if Chewie had some bad gas. <laughs> that was like a broken foghorn. <laughs> like Chewie didn't feel well. He was having acid reflux. Oh, um, poor Chewie. <laughs> poor Chewie. <laughs> But yeah, no, and he has like the, you know, he's big, like Groot and Chewie are both like taller and bigger yeah. than the other people. And also they kind of like get things done, I sure. feel like, because like when they're trying to steal the battery um, for this big escape plan, mm-hmm. you know, while everybody else is just talking about it, Groot like walks over, just gets it. <laughs> I love that. A man of action. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then he also uses his branch as a weapon he he shoots it out very long and stabs through a line of five or six villains you know and just picks them up again like kind of like a kebab yeah kebab night here and you (laughs) slammed them against the wall and then you know he took them out yeah and while he was doing that he was yelling which is like chewy when he would do his signature yell oh that makes sense yeah that's really good it's, well, yeah, and then Star-Lord Peter is Han Solo. Of course. Um, and I'm sure he really wants to be. In fact, honestly, probably he went through the asteroid field because 
he wanted to be like Han Solo. <laughs> I look, that was a good scene because you had, you know, egos at play, right? Because yeah. you had Rocket who wanted to drive, and then you also had Peter Quill who wanted to drive. Yeah. So instead of it actually being about their escape, it became about this one upsmanship of who's the better pilot. Yeah. That's funny. And yeah. And then, of course, Gamora, I'm assuming, is kind of like your Leia character. Yes. Um, but in a way, maybe she's also got a little bit of Luke Skywalker quality because her dad is Thanos. So that's I, I think that that's a very good comparison. I also do see some Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. Yeah. I, I, yeah. He's the hero. So I think there's going to be a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's that's really awesome. Well, and let's not forget Nebula. Nebula is like Darth Vader. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit before you had mentioned that, and it's nothing I ever would have thought about, but the comparison is totally there, because she's been tortured, and parts of her have been replaced with mechanical parts, and... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and she, you know, has, like, a similar outlook, I think, um, as Darth Vader. Like, she wants to be... She's always on, like, the dark side, and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, so much of her being replaced by a machine. I agree. Nebula says when Gamora came into her life, all she wanted out of it was a sister. Mm -hmm. And Thanos would pit Gamora and Nebula against each other all the time in combat. And whoever lost would get worked on mechanically Mm -hmm. and nebula would always lose and she actually says at one point that thanos ripped the eye out of her socket yeah and that he sucked the brain out of her head yeah like he did all these horrible things to this person and also like darth vader i feel like there's a redemption arc because nebula is a good person underneath yeah she still does care yeah, and there's a lot more development of their relationship in the second movie, um, which I really enjoyed. Because um, I really didn't like Nebula in the first movie at all, mm-hmm. because she just kept showing up and making everything bad. Yeah. Because <laughs> she, was, she was always kind of like this pick-me kind of person, trying to like help these bad guys, thinking it was going to get her something. So like she's trying to help Ronan, thinking it's going to do something for her. Or thinking she's going to impress Thanos. But she's not. Like, they're, you know, they're just using her. Well, there's another comparison. This is a very deep dive. Um, this is from the Peter Sellers Pink Panther series. Wow. Oh, yes, we're going deep. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, it's not just deep. It's so different. This is fun. So, Peter Sellers, as Inspector Clouseau, had his right-hand man, Cato. Okay. And what he told Cato is that he wanted him to attack him all the time. He wanted to attack him when he least expected it. (laughs) Yes. And it just never stopped. You know, throughout the Pink Panther films, at the absolute worst time, Cato would come and foul things up. You know, I remember one of the films, the entire movie was a romance between Inspector Clouseau and Diane Cannon. And at the very end... You know, they're in the bedroom and they're together and then Cato comes and like throws them out the window, (laughs) you know. (laughs) So Nebula showing up the way that she does, always ready to take down Gamora, made me think about 
Pink Panther. That's really funny. I never would have made that connection. I love it. Well, and that's something that was big when we were growing up. That was always on television. I loved Pink Panther. That, that's something I did actually watch when I was a kid was Pink Panther. My mom really, really loved those movies and Peter yeah. Sellers. Peter Sellers. So those great. are movies I actually did see when I was a kid. Well, do you know what Peter Quill missed out on? What? He missed out on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, man. Yeah, 1989. He didn't make it. So he's living in a world where he never had that sweet end to the first Indiana Jones trilogy. Oh, and I love Last Crusade. Actually, that might be my favorite of the three, just because I watched it when I was older. I think if you, I saw it when I was a little kid, Raiders would have definitely been my number one, but that's too bad. But maybe he has something to look forward to then, because Peter, you know, ends up back with Terrans, people from Earth, mm -hmm. um, in the later um, parts of the Marvel first cycle. Um, like Endgame and Infinity War, and he gets to learn a little bit more about where pop culture has gone. Right. So, you know, there's always more than he can learn, which is good. I'm happy about that. And he also gets to act out his Kevin Bacon fantasy as well, <laughs> of Footloose. Of course. And that's, you know, with the, the dancing and the music and just his his general attitude. Again, it, it ties into like that that leading man bravado, yes. you know, because that's what Kevin Bacon had. He was this rebel and he was going to do it his way. That's and, so funny. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, he just wants to like listen to music and dance. And it's like, that's so important. Mm -hmm. And that's great. I actually also watched Footloose, as we know. That was one of my first, or that was the first movie I remember seeing in the theater. So it's, you know, all about the dancing and the music. And I, I love that. Footloose is one of my favorites. That's definitely going to show up here. It has to for both of us. Yeah. yeah, it's just a great movie. Yeah, Peter Quill would love our podcast. He would be so happy. He's like, all right, guys, you're talking about the real <laughs> stuff here. The real stuff. It's good. We would definitely have him as a guest, and then he would just take over. Well, and we also have had, going back to the music, both of us were heavily influenced by the music that our parents liked. Oh, heck yeah. You know, I mean, I dad, I got all of his records, you know, when I got older, and we would always share CDs, and we had a point in time where we were very angry with each other but we would be okay to put in this mixtape that we had both made. And, you know, we would play that. And then, you know, then we could kind of be like, all right, yeah, how are you doing today? Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was I our... Love that. Yeah, that was yeah, our way. Well, my stepdad and I connected over music as well. And he had, like, a huge record collection. It was awesome. He had, mm -hmm. like, really, like, a lot of the original Beatles records that he had bought, you know, when they first came out. Wow. Um, they were not in good shape because he listened to them and so did i so you know but it was really cool that he had them and sure. all the original artwork and all that um and we i just made mixtapes all the time and he would make mixtapes for me so i have that experience of like the in my case step parent uh, making mixtapes for you um the way that peter's mom made mixtape for him um and yeah mixtapes like there's really no way to you know overestimate how big of a deal mixtapes were they are so huge in like the 80s and into the 90s like, yeah i was using mixtapes all well into my high school years i was making mixtapes for my friends mm -hmm. i had you know my my car was just full of mixtapes yeah definitely like sharing a spotify playlist yeah because you and i will sit in, in the car and i'll be like let's put on some music and instead of listening to music, we end up, like, making a playlist for, like, you know, 
30 minutes. And then we have about two minutes to actually listen to it. <laughs> That's totally me. And every time we're done, I just want to add a new layer to yeah. it. <laughs> Rank it. Rank it. Or should we do it by year? Or how should we go about well, this? Well, I mean, this is kind of the dream for you. Because it's like being able to make a mixtape, but then go back in and change it. Because when you were making a mixtape, it was made. Yeah. Like you could you would have to just do another mixtape if you wanted to change the order or you know, if you got to the end and you only got half a song mm. in, which was the bummer of a lifetime. Well, it's I there's something about making a cassette. I don't know what it is. It makes me feel like Conan forging a new sword, you know. But really when you look at a CD, that is laser. So when yeah. you would burn CDs, you know, there was that, you know, electrical fire i don't, <laughs> i don't know what you want to say but forging yeah you're forging a cd <laughs> right but there's something about the cassette that i liked more i think it was the physical durability of the cassette itself yeah that just that plastic case you know like the case that the cassette came in i thought was neat because it was tiny i was like look how neat and tiny well, and then the cassette itself and you could also do like artwork on the sleeve yeah for the cassette you know, you'd write down your list, your track list, but then you could also draw on it and do all yes. kind of stuff, which was super fun. I loved that. I mean, and I think it was also more of an event. Like, now, when you make a Spotify playlist, not I'm not saying it's bad. We love doing it. Mm-hmm. But it's almost too easy, you know? Yeah, just anyone like, can do it. You can just do it. You can throw everything on there. You can slide it around to change the order or whatever. But when you were making a mixtape, like, that was, like, an event. You had to, like... Well, for me, I was actually recording off of records. Yeah. And our record needle didn't drop straight down. Okay. So I had to, like, engineer the spot... Okay. ...where I could hit the drop and it would, like, diagonally fall over and hit, like, the sweet spot so I'd actually get it in the right place. Oh, wow. Uh, so it was, you know, there was like science involved for me. Um, or, you know, we had a tape to tape, like deck to also, so I could record tape to tape. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time I was putting records, um, to tape. But then later we bought a CD player, like it was a five CD changer. Oh yeah. So we really thought we were high class and it was really fun because I got to kind of help my stepdad build his CD collection from scratch. Oh, wow. That's an honor. It was. That's an honor. He joined like Columbia House. We had like multiple Columbia House memberships Mm -hmm. and BMG. And, you know, I got to pick out, you know, all the CDs for a dollar at the beginning. So it was just like, what's the most important thing, you know, that we have (laughs) We have to have, because I only get this many, so... Um, but we went from having zero CDs to probably having, like, 300, like, pretty quickly. I love that. Um, but it was... That was super fun. Um, and then I, I was able to add a new layer to my mixtapes, where I could put CD songs onto a mixtape, and tape songs, and record songs. So, yeah. yeah, it was fun. And I would spend hours deciding how to do it, and then... When holidays would come around, like, that was my go-to gift for my friends, mm-hmm. because they may not have access to the collection that I had access to. Right. So I would make, like, these totally killer mixtapes for my friends, 
with like, you know, we would always listen to Guns N' Roses and Cinderella and these were like the bands. This is why I probably like Peacemaker so much, by the way, Mm -hmm. because they have all this hair metal stuff in them and that's what I loved. It's the good stuff. When I was like 14. Um, But I also was getting into like the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin like a little bit later in high school and I was like 16. My favorite band was Led Zeppelin for a while. So Mm -hmm. like, I would end up putting all these songs on for my friends, too, yeah. so that it would kind of broaden what we had access to based on, you know, from what was on the radio to what else I was interested in because of my parents. Well, when you did the triple threat of the record, the cassette, the CD, all coming together on the cassette, yeah. you really felt like you were this mastermind. Yeah. You know, you were a fucking scientist <laughs> you were like a, i don't know or like a dj you know like like a crazy space dj yeah you were the best thing that ever lived and here's where i would go next level on the cassette mixes i would take the front label you know where you would write the songs mm-hmm. i would put it into a typewriter oh my gosh oh yeah so big time yeah like it was real you know like i would not tolerate any failure. Like when I put my sticker on the cassette, if it was not right, you know, we had to fix it. If I couldn't get it off cleanly, it's gone. We start over. Oh, yes. It had to be perfect. I can imagine that. What I would do is I had kind of like a master mix yeah. that I was making for like six different people. Yeah. And then I would pepper in specific songs for each person. Well, like that. So like, you know, if... It was for my friend Ellen. I think I put in The Wind Cries Mary by Jimi Hendrix. It's like one that only she got. Mm -hmm. And then for my other friend, I would give them, you know, something specific that was just for them. So that it was just kind of like, you know, generally we were all sharing the songs. But then each person got something special. And I would draw like a special picture that was just for them on there too. So it was just cool. I mean, that was just something that I love. And in Guardians, I think they really capture how important mixtapes were. Yeah. I mean, Peter only has this one Mm mixtape throughout the entire first movie. Right. And these songs are just, like, imprinted on him. Mm -hmm. You know, this is what he listens to. And it also is a connection he has to his mother. Yeah. Which is huge. Yeah. Um, because she was really into listening to the radio and loved music and shared that with him. And since he doesn't have her anymore, he still has her music. And that's like his connection. Well, a very big thing for me, a very personal thing for me, is with my father, I made a series of mixed CDs. Mm-hmm. You know, some with his input, some without. And I, I gave them to him. And about five years later, he was in hospice. And, you know, he was, he was passing away from dementia Mm -hmm. and those CDs are what we played. Yes. I remember it was awesome. Yeah. And it was kind of one of the only times that he, because he was pretty out of it, like they keep you on morphine and whatever to keep you out of pain. Mm -hmm. But that was kind of the one time that he was responsive is when a song would come on. Yeah that he would like, you could sense that he could hear it and you would know. And he even would start singing along. That was, yeah. And that was wild because he did not look well at all. No. And he would start singing. I I mean, 
Eagles Take It to the Limit was one of those songs. Yes, I remember. And I was just, wow. So the power of music is something that is sacred to me and you. Yeah. And with James Gunn, we can certainly see that. And this movie crystallizes that with these mixes that he gets. Yeah. That Peter gets from his mother. Yeah, because uh, the thing I haven't said is that he receives a gift from his mother the day that she dies. Like, right before he's taken into space and she dies, she gives him a a gift wrapped in paper. Mm -hmm. And we find out later that he's never opened it. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, we haven't really discussed this with each other ever, but I think the, the reason that he's okay with opening it at the end is this kind of family theme that's, mm-hmm. that's threaded throughout these movies. So that, you know, Peter's a kid that has no family. Yeah. Um, he's an orphan. He's in space alone. Of course, he's been raised by Yondu and the Ravager team, but it's not something that he thinks of as family, at least at the time, at the, at the beginning of the the first movie sure um and then over the course of the first movie as he um kind of works with rocket groot gamora and drax mm-hmm. they kind of become a family um and it's like it's not the family that you have it's not maybe the family that you wanted but it's the family that you get and the family that you choose and as they move on and develop their relationship in the first movie and into the second movie, mm-hmm. they, you know, become a family. I mean, they definitely become a family. Unquestionably. Like, at the end of the first movie, Groot actually sacrifices himself for the the rest of the team. Because mm-hmm. they're about to crash land. He kind of grows this branch ball around everyone Mm -hmm. to protect them from the impact but it destroys him in the process yeah and you know rocket has is like super mournful about this and of course drax sits down beside him and pets him on the head to to comfort him and it's like the first time that rocket really allows that touch yes um because he is very pardon the pun touchy about getting touched <laughs> because he's been abused, right? I mean, he's he's experienced abuse at the hands of these scientists mm-hmm. who did experiments on him and things like this. So he he associates touch with pain. Yeah. And this is like the first time he allows touch for the purpose of comfort. Yeah. And it's not like somebody's making fun of him and treating him like he's a pet animal rather than a person because he believes he's a person you know yes he's a raccoon but he shoots guns he thinks like a a person um so yeah that's a really poignant moment at the end of this and then um another poignant moment is that you know after everything's wrapped up and they're back on the ship peter decides to finally open the gift Mm -hmm. and it's a a second mixtape from his mom so it's like he has all this new music that he can actually share with his new family as they go on their new adventures as the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. It's it's a great one. There's so much heart in this movie. There's uh, so in much both, heart. yeah. In both. I mean I, I see them as one in my head. I do I, I totally see them as one as well. It's almost hard for me. I mean, before we watched them again, I would say it was hard for me 
to remember what happened in one versus the other. Mm. Yes. Because that kind of runs together. And I'm saying that as a positive. Yeah. I love that about these because they are part of the bigger Marvel universe, but they are their own thing. And the Mm. characters in them have such strong relationships developed over the course of it. And it goes through the whole thing. So, like, we know Yondu in the first movie um, kind of as this, you know, bully-type figure in a way who, yes, he took Peter, you know, in, but he's kind of told him he's going to eat him and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> he's very proud of the fact that both he and his men did not eat him. Yeah. You know, they're very proud of that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you you don't really get to know him until the second movie, and then you get to know him a lot more. Mm. So we know that he had picked up Peter. He's the one who picked up Peter. It's because he was, you know, tasked to do that for money by this entity, Ego, which is played by Kurt Russell in the second movie. Um, we don't really know anything about why or you know, what what that was about. Mm-hmm. And we also don't know why Yondu didn't deliver him. But we find that out in the second movie. Yeah. So there's a lot of seeds that are, like, planted in the first movie that come back in the second. And one of them is Groot. Yes. <laughs> Quite and literally. That's such a, well, that is such a happy moment. Yeah. It is such a happy moment when you see that we have one of the branches of Groot who's deceased is now a baby Groot. Yes, and and they have a lot of fun with baby Groot mm-hmm. over the course of these movies, and I'm sure into the next, um, where he's growing up. So he's a baby, he's in the pot, he's dancing in the pot, mm-hmm. and then he's like a young kid Groot in the second movie, and it's hilarious because he doesn't understand things. and <laughs> mm. <laughs> They send him to go get this blade... That's kind of on Yondu's head that controls the arrow. That's Yondu's weapon that is controlled somehow with a combination of this blade that he has on his head. The one that he has in the second movie looks like a mohawk fin. It looks like a fin that looks like a mohawk, which is yeah. pretty cool. Um, in the first movie, it's just kind of a flat mohawk looking thing. But it's a combination of that and whistling. So, like, he's whistling... And it guides the arrow, um, which is kind of awesome. Yeah. Um, and I also, you know, think there's a good conversation to be had at some point, maybe not now, about whether Yondu could have taken out Thanos. I think that would be a very good discussion. Yondu basically decimates the entire crew. Which is amazing. With one little arrow. And I think he could have taken out Thanos, to answer your question. I think Yondu could have gone the distance because he is a survivor and he could have used that arrow to go through Thanos who knows how many times. Yeah, I think he, I think if he could have had the element of surprise, Mm -hmm. I think he could have done it. Yeah, no Um, question. So even just by himself, you know, so that's pretty interesting. Um, And yeah, Yondu becomes kind of this heroic character. It's another example of this anti-hero to hero kind of thing that James Gunn really does so well in all media that mm-hmm. he works on. Because um, I think you have that in Peacemaker as well. Um, but Yondu kind of, you in the first movie, you kind of look at him as a bit of an antagonist. Sure. But over the course of the second movie, you see that he had reasons for doing some of the things he did. 
And there's actually quite a strong parallel between Yondu and Rocket mm-hmm. and the ways that they have behaved being a result of their environment and the way that they were treated when they were, you know, younger. And their struggles to be better parents in a certain way. Like, Yondu isn't really Peter's dad, but he behaved as his dad, and he's a better dad in so many ways than Peter's actual dad. Yes. Like, if the first movie is really about the mother, the second movie is, well, and there is a lot of father stuff in the first movie with Thanos being Gamora's quote father as well, although he's not really her father either. You know, he destroyed her race and and kidnapped her when she was a child. Yep. So he's raised her and he's treated her as a daughter. And I think Thanos really does love Gamora as a daughter. I agree with that. Um, well, we see that into Infinity War. Um, that the sacrifice of Gamora by Thanos is only possible because he values her so much. Um, and yeah, that... I, I mean, I think that you have to say that he does, but you also, I think, get into the father thing in the second movie so much because of Peter and how Peter didn't know who his dad was. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, that, you know, he would imagine David Hasselhoff as his dad, <laughs> which I think is hilarious and, on, and wonderful. Yeah. Um, and he meets his dad and it's almost, you know, first he's suspicious, which I think is very real reaction. Sure. You know? And then it's also that it's almost like it's too good to be true because his dad is like this superhuman cool being who kind of has his own planet that he's a part of and he's immortal because he's this being called a celestial. And, you know, Peter learns that he has secret powers and he learns how to wield them really easily Mm -hmm. and quickly once he has access to the source of power on the planet. So it's very exciting that he has this relationship, but then, of course, it turns out to be too good to be true. Unfortunately, yeah, because that's that's what's hard about the second film, is you see Peter begin to let ego, his father, into his heart. And the more he learns about his father, his true father, the more terrifying it is. Yeah. Because you find that he is an egocentric maniac. Yeah. Everything is about him. His vanity knows no limits. And then we find out that Ego gave Peter's mother brain cancer because he did not want to be distracted by her because he cared about her too much. Yeah, I mean, he's a complete, unbelievable megalomaniac, basically. He wants to populate the universe with himself. Right. um, Which is foul yeah um, and he yeah he loved he did love peter's mother but he loved her so much that she was like distracting him from his ultimate goal and he had to kill her you know these are these kind of people that show up in marvel who i just don't understand like thanos with the snap right like his whole thing was i gotta get these infinity stones so that i can get rid of half of the population of the universe right so that we don't have a problem with resources. Mm. Well, how about you freaking make more resources <laughs> with the stones? Right, would that make some sense? I mean, like, hello, instead of, like, killing off half of everybody, just be like, nope, that is literally the only way we can do this. 
Like, think outside the box, Thanos. Hello. And yeah, with, with Ego, it's like, oh gosh, I'm distracted by this person. I guess I'll murder them with brain cancer. It's, yeah, that's a horrific blow. And then we find that there's this cavern with all of these bodies of his other children. Yeah. And those children did not have the magic spark yeah. that Peter has. So they were expendable. Yeah, they couldn't create the the planet with them. They couldn't help him on his quest for I, I don't what galactic domination. I, I mean, mean it's not domination necessarily. He just thinks that this is the way it's supposed to be. Like he's managed to convince himself that this is like the ultimate goal and that this is the the right thing. Yeah. And he won't be dissuaded. He's completely single minded in his purpose. And if you're not serving that purpose, you're preventing him from achieving it. So you must go. And that is what he ends up doing with Peter. Because Peter doesn't support him anymore after he finds out, hey, you killed my mother. Right. I mean, and, and Ego's just like, well, why? You know, Ego doesn't think that's a big deal. No. He's like, well, of course I had to. Like, it's just like, that's what I have to do. Because, you know, I have my work. And right. my work is the ultimate importance. Um, but yeah, that's what kind of snaps Peter out of it. And he realizes that he cannot support this. And we also find out that this is why Peter was never given over to Ego. Because Yondu found out that Ego was killing the kids who he was delivering. Yeah, because if they were not able to help with, what do we want to call it, planet building? or Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, like, it's almost like um, seeding the universe. Right. If you yeah. did not have magic powers... Yeah. You were discarded because if, yeah. you were worthless. If you couldn't tap into the source of power on the planet to use that to propagate. There we go. Then he just got rid of you. Yeah. And Yondu wasn't going to let that happen to Peter once he found out because Yondu is actually a good guy, as mm -hmm. it turns out. Um, and as, you know, they go, they team up the Guardians plus Yondu to kind of fight Ego, we start to realize that Yondu, and Peter starts to realize that Yondu is the real dad in his life. Yes. And that's what Yondu says. You may He may be your father, but he isn't your daddy. Yep. You know, which again, I just love that. <laughs> I said this to you yesterday when we were thinking about this. I was like, I really love that like, this blue, you know, space dude is, like, super, like, Alabama hick, you know? <laughs> like, I don't understand how that tracks, but it works for me because it's Michael Rooker, and Michael Rooker is kind of one of the best actors in the history of the universe to me. Sure is. He's excellent and super unsung. I love that he started to get some better you know, exposure, I guess, since he's been a bit older. Yondu was such a great role for him, and he fits it so perfectly. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, when he was in The Walking Dead as Merle, he was really good. But really, I love him in everything. Like, I saw, I remember in the movie The Dark Half, he, which I love the book The Dark Half, it's a Stephen King thing, he played the sheriff character. And I just couldn't ever think of anyone else as that character, because that's a recurring character in the Stephen King books, mm -hmm. and he just, like, imprinted on my mind as that character. 
Well, he also had some other pretty big movies back in the day. He was in Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone. He was also in Sea of Love with Al Pacino. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, I mean, he has, like, this massive career, but he's one of these actors that's just so real. He just blends into the the part. Yeah, you don't think about him as an actor. You just, yeah, you think about him as just like a fixture in the piece. Yeah, he just doesn't exist outside it somehow. Yeah. Because he is so perfect. Um, but I love him as Yondu. And he yes. gets to work with Sylvester Stallone again in this because we have um, Stallone shows up as one of the other Ravagers right. at the beginning of Guardians 2. I didn't actually remember that they had worked together before. Um, but that's really interesting. Um, yeah. But Yondu is so great. I think my favorite part in both movies put together is <laughs> when they're kind of floating back down um, and Yondu's like holding the arrow that's enabling him to like slowly float back down and Peter looks up at him and laughs and says, you look like Mary Poppins. And Yondu's like, is he cool? <laughs> and <laughs> Peter's like, yeah, he's cool. And Yondu then yells out, I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> I just think that's the most wonderful thing ever because he's so happy and joyful that he's like that peter thinks he's this cool person yes and i love that it's it's great i've been saying it non-stop <laughs> since we've watched it and i keep laughing about it because it's just so good it is it's, it's so so good it's wonderful yeah and i mean of course i think the thing that makes yondu so amazing in the second movie is that he does end up actually sacrificing himself right to save peter and it's like this ultimate thing, but it's so sad because they finally realize what their relationship is. Yeah. And then he's gone. That's what's so special about Guardians of the Galaxy is that we have this humor that undercuts massive tragedy. Yes. Yeah. And we're in space. And yes, we have aliens and spaceships and ray guns. But we have real human emotions. Big time. Big time. I mean, yes, there's so much funny stuff in this, but it, there's so much real emotion. Yes. And I have to say, like, <laughs> some of it is from some of the most non-human looking things. Sure. Like, Bradley Cooper, I love in lots of things. Like, oh, yeah. Nightmare Alley was really, we've said it was our favorite movie of, of last year. Completely. He's brilliant. He's brilliant yeah, in everything. I, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to love Nightmare Alley, but Bradley Cooper is probably number one on that list. You know, I, yeah. I think his performance was phenomenal, and I think he's honestly great in everything. I don't really think I've watched anything where I was like, Bradley Cooper sucked in this. No. But, I mean, he and he was in uh, A Star is Born and directed that as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, the guy is super talented. Yeah. But I have to say that his voice performance as Rocket is one of my favorite things that he ever did. Yeah. And it's just his voice, but he manages to do so much with it. I think in the second movie, they use his face um, for CGI more. I don't think they did that in the first movie. Okay. So that he kind of contributed a bit more in that respect to the character portrayal in the second movie. But I just think that his Rocket is perfect. And, like, let's talk about Vin Diesel. Yes. Vin family Diesel. man. The family man. <laughs> <laughs> this is, like, 
absolutely, without a doubt, my favorite Ben Diesel performance. Sure is. He said, all he does is say, I am Groot, but he says it in so many different ways. Sure. And it carries, like, different meaning. He's He manages to convey different meaning with the different ways he says it, and it's amazing. It's like an old acting exercise. They would give all of you three different lines to say, and they were all very generic. But everything is just in the way that you present them. Yeah. And boy, and he does it. does it. He does, does it. Because the only time he says something different is at the end of the first movie when he's about to make the sacrifice for the whole team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think maybe Rockets, that's why you're doing this or something. And he says, we are Groot. Yes. You know, and that's when he acknowledges they're a family and he's doing this for the family, mm-hmm. um, which is great. And like Vin Diesel, man, who thought that that you could like get Vin Diesel to just kill it so hard with just three words over and over? It's also funny because the Fast and the Furious saga, and they're always talking about family and how important yeah. family is <laughs> and all the memes. And what happens? <laughs> Here we are again, Vin Diesel, talking family, protecting family, you know, sacrificing his own life It's all about family, family. yeah. Yeah. If it's about family, it's Vin Diesel. (laughs) He should, like, run for office on, like, a family platform. I'd love to see, like, some family films with him, like, A Very Diesel Christmas. (laughs) You call us people. Yeah, yeah. That's (laughs) awesome. I've definitely got none of that pull. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. oh gosh we could talk about family a little bit in peacemaker as well um again like i don't want to spoil peacemaker because it really did just wrap up mm-hmm. but again we're running into the same kind of thing where you kind of have this ragtag group of crazy people sure who get thrown together with a common goal and they become kind of a family to each other mm-hmm. um you've got people with well, in particular, Peacemaker has some significant daddy issues. Oh, yeah. Um, And he manages to kind of overcome his loneliness and isolation over the course of the show by, you know, becoming close to this team that mm-hmm. he's working with. And again, it's just that James Gunn thing where he's so capable of showing, you know, this group of people become a family. Um through their experiences and through their support of each other and their growing love for each other. And I love that. Well, we also, we did not mention Sean Gunn in Guardians of the Galaxy is Craglin. Yeah. And Yondu very much has a father-son relationship with him as well. Well, it's interesting because it kind of parallels the Thanos relationship with Gamora and Nebula. And then you have the Yondu relationship with Peter and Craglin. Mm-hmm. Because Peter and Craglin are both kind of the son type figures to Yondu. Yeah. But he overvalues Peter um, compared to Craglin. Very much, yeah. And Craglin always feels like he's not quite good enough. And that's why there's a resentment there. Mm-hmm. And he ends up teaming up with the ridiculous taser face. <laughs> to kind of do a mutiny yeah (laughs) and throw over yondu and 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 entrap him so you know it's it's one of these situations where you know he mistreated yondu kind of mistreated craglin and he ends up realizing that and then at the end he gives um well peter gives craglin the arrow 
and Craglin is learning how to use it. Yeah. So it can be, it's kind of like his inheritance from Yondu. Um, and, and I thought that was really cool. Oh. Also, I... Sean Gunn, by the way, sorry, wanted, Sean Gunn was the on-set rocket in the first movie, so he's, like, wearing the green, if you look at the behind the scenes, he's wearing, like, the giant green sock, you know, <laughs> and sitting, you know, low to be kind of the visual on-set rocket, so Sean Gunn really contributed a ton uh, in both the Guardians movies in that respect. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to mention is we also have in the Milano Peter spaceship a cockpit. And, you know, that's not crazy, like a flying machine to have a cockpit. <laughs> but just like the Millennium Falcon in Star Wars, everyone congregates in that cockpit. Yes. So it is not exactly the same configuration but it is so reminiscent when you see everyone right there in the cockpit together. It's like, you know, the kitchen at, at somebody's house. Yeah, you like know? At my grandma's house, the kitchen, and everybody would congregate there. Yeah. No, that's totally true. It's like they're all, you know, hanging out. It's almost also like a road trip, you know. Oh, yes. Like somebody's driving and somebody's in the passenger seat, but the other people are kind of poking in from the back seat looking out the front window. That's perfect, Georgia. <laughs> great. That's great. That's really great. I never thought of that. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I just thought of it right now because I just, and also Yondu has all the little tchotchkes in mm -hmm. his ship. Yep. Which I love. Um, and that kind of made me think of, I used to do that in my cars. I would have like, uh, I had a little troll doll on my dashboard. Okay. I had a little seal stuffed animal that I would stick up there. So I had a lot of different things. So um, it's tough to kind of wrap up this movie. I feel like we've talked about everything. Um, well, no, I feel like we've talked about a lot of things, but right. I still feel like there's so much we could still explore. Was there anything else that you wanted to bring up that we haven't talked about that you feel like has to be said? It's difficult because I think of little snippets of things. But it's not like a, a full conversation. So it's yeah. almost like I would give you some rapid fire bullet points. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's, you know. Well, I mean, so we could we could do that. But I think like the main things we wanted to highlight was the sense of family. Yes. Um, also, again, the music. Yes. Um, which is what makes this movie, these movies so special. Mm -hmm. Any James Gunn adventure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he manages to find things that are so great, but that are overlooked. Mm hmm. And I love that. I mean, in Peacemaker, the soundtrack is a lot of hair metal, but most of it is kind of not the exactly mainstream kind of hair metal. Sure. Like, there's, I don't think any Poison is on the soundtrack. Not yet. Not that I'm saying that's, you know, Poison is bad, but Poison was more like mainstream, whereas you're listening to like Pretty Boy Floyd and Faster Pussycat, House of Pain, which is a bomb song. Sure. And we got to see Faster Pussycat live years ago. We did. With Poison and Cinderella, because we're awesome. Yeah, exactly. And also, we have the band Wigwam, which does the song Do You Want to Taste It for the opening number. They're not even an American band. No. And they're not from the 80s. No, they sound so 80s, though. It's, it's kind of crazy. It's like I wanted to hear that they were some... I don't some boys out on the farm in Iowa. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, but they're like, like some Norwegian people from now that just perfectly imitate 
like a mid '80s like glam metal band. Yeah, they came out. They came out with that song what the past five, ten years roughly. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's an achievement, and there are so many bands. They can really surprise you like that. Yeah, I love that. Well, there was a band back when I was in college called Motor Psycho. Oh, yes. Yeah, you introduced me to them. I'd never heard of them before. Right. But they have some, like, amazingly great songs. Yeah. It's a Norwegian band, and they're great. They can be soft. They can be hard. They I can think, do anything. I guess the lesson is we need to listen to more Norwegian music. I think that is the lesson. <laughs> I think that is the lesson. Because I'm always looking out for something different. Yeah. And anytime there's some music I haven't explored, I will dive in and see what the water's like. Yeah, I, I love that too. Well, and that's one thing with the Guardian soundtrack. It's like a lot of these like really awesome 70s and 80s like radio songs. Yeah. But I feel like it skews toward a little more obscure for the most part. Mm -hmm. I mean, that could just be my perspective. So maybe I didn't listen to it as much. Like, there are exceptions. Like, I think Hooked on a Feeling is pretty big song. I would say. I would say now. I would say because of Reservoir Dogs. Okay. I would say that really brought that into the mainstream. And But again, I you know, at that point might not have been aware of it, you know? Yeah. I, I just was never aware of it until that movie. And that might be it. It might be more less about what is mainstream and more about what I know and don't know because maybe my parents weren't really listening to that stuff and so I never listened to it that much. But, like, what was your... What songs or song sticks out to you from Guardians the most? I would say Father and Son. I, my father was a big Cat Stevens fan. Yeah, he was. I like Cat Stevens. And they use that for the funeral scene for Yondu. So father and son, I would say that's definitely the the best moment for me. Yeah, it's a with, beautiful song. Yeah. And it's perfectly executed. Right. And it's so meaningful in that moment because Peter is realizing that he had this father figure and he says that over the body you know when he's talking about his kind of eulogy mm -hmm. he says you know i always thought my dad was david hasselhoff yeah and it turns out you know i did kind of have this guy who you know had a fast ship and hooked up with hot chicks right <laughs> you know so it's like david hasselhoff really was my dad and then he listens to the song, and they send kind of the ashes out. Mm -hmm. And then all the Ravager ships show up yep. to honor Yondu, which they weren't going to do because he kind of had broken the code. Right. But then they all find out that, well, I think Rocket tells them that he broke the code because, um, you know, he was trying to save Peter. Um, and, and they end up honoring him at the end. And the color comes back in again, like when his ashes go out of the ship, it kind of turns into like this bright rainbow going through space while yep. that song is playing. It's really cool. Well, and then they undercut it because they show you Drax and Mantis. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we haven't talked enough probably about Drax and Mantis. No. Uh, so Drax is very tough guy. He saw Ronan murder his wife and child. And he is singular in purpose that he wants revenge. He's a literal man. Anything he says is literal. Yeah. And that's very funny. And he doesn't understand metaphor. If you say something went over his head, he's like, no, nothing can go over my head because I will catch it. 
<laughs> and he's just, yeah, he's this great muscle-bound warrior. And they run into Mantis when they go to Ego's planet. And Mantis has little antennae on her head. Yeah. And she is extremely empathetic. Yeah. If she touches you, she can feel exactly what you're feeling. Mantis also has the ability to influence your thoughts. Mantis also has the ability to put you to sleep. And that's why Ego has her around so that she can put him to sleep at night yeah. with her sorcery. So there is like, a, it seems like a romance kind of a brewing between Drax and Mantis. But he doesn't want that to be the case. I think like he's, he, he, he tells her so many times that she's ugly. <laughs> so horrible. And that he likes a woman with meat on her bones. And then he starts vomiting because he says he was imagining being with her physically. Yeah. But then at the end, um, yeah, when they're watching Yondu's ashes go out of the ship, she says, oh, it's beautiful. And he says, and so are you on the inside. <laughs> it's, oh, it's great. And I'm sure we're going to get more. With yeah. those two going forward. I'm sure, yeah. And I just think the those characters are so much fun. Um, Mantis, you know, is very happy to become part of this team. Yes. Because she's been alone with Ego, and it's been a very difficult thing because she's so empathic. And having to, like, live with what he's done, mm. you know, when she's witnessed, is like, weighs heavily on her. But she still has this really childlike fascination and glee, especially with Rocket. Mm -hmm. I think she thinks he's a pet. Yep. And she's like, can I pet your puppy? He's so <laughs> cute, it makes me want to die. <laughs> <laughs> so that's relatable because you and me love dogs. We so do. that's us every time we see any puppies. Yeah, I try to pet any chow chow I see. I ask, can I please pet your chow chow? <laughs> but yeah, so any dog. I love dogs. Any dog of them. I'm so happy to see. But yeah, those characters are super awesome. So I'm glad we got a chance to pop in and talk about them for a quick second. Also, why does Drax get thrown into yellow liquid in the first film as well as the second? Is there some theme that I'm missing? The first time, it's just like a vat. Yeah, it's the cerebrospinal fluid of nowhere. Yes. Ronan throws him into that vat right. during their fight. And then uh, Groot, I guess, pulls him out. And he's like covered in the yellow fluid and pokes a hole in his chest so he can breathe. Yeah, he saves him. Yeah, he saves him. And then, yes, in the second movie, they're at the opening sequence, which is fantastic, they're playing Mr. Blue Sky by, what, ELO? I think that's right. While they're fighting this giant beast, and Drax has decided that the way to kill it is to go inside it <laughs> and cut from the inside to the out. Oh, my God. Because the hide is thick and he can't get through it on the outside. <laughs> so he's just going to go through it from the inside. Or inside that beast is yellow. Mm -hmm. So he ends up coated in yellow goo again. So you're 100% right. Well, there's one other thing that I do want to mention. And this is jumping back on the same beat. Which is, Ronan comes to nowhere because Drax summons him. Yeah. Drax, again singular in his revenge and he puts everyone on the team at risk by doing this 
Yes, he does. Causes a lot of trouble. But even still, they all still love him, and Groot saves his life. So we really see that family. Yeah. From that they've the first film. Bonded. I mean, they meet Drax in the prison and he escapes with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, pretty instantly he becomes part of the team, even though he screws up. Yeah. They forgive him and they let him keep, you know, going with them. So, you know, it's it's just a wonderful movie. I love both of these. I am looking forward to the third one. Sure. Um, it'll, but I mean, it might go in a different direction. We'll see what happens. They said it might not be happy, so I don't Which know. Which I am terrified of. Same here. <laughs> I mean, we also have, you know, Rocket once again. So we're talking about the Sovereign. And Rocket steals the batteries from the Sovereign, even though he doesn't need to. Yeah, well, and, he does a lot of things he doesn't need to. Yes. And that's just another case of that, that he just does it because he can. And it ends up getting them in trouble. Right. He has this evil, chaotic sense of humor. Yes, he does. And it taps into this older humor that you would see in the 70s or 80s that's more sharp-edged. Yeah, and Rocket can be very acerbic, cynical, and and sharp-edged yeah. overall. Yeah. And, yeah, that's, you know, even though he is like that they still love him anyway right and that's just what i love about these movies and, and they say that he says as much because he's thinking about yondu yep. when yondu was gone and he can't believe that the ravagers came for yondu's funeral and he says oh he yelled at him he was mean to them but they didn't forget about him they still cared about him yeah and he was having a moment himself yeah it's a huge moment for him and then peter he, says he's okay yeah and he realizes that he can also be loved even though he's made mistakes and he's done bad things mm-hmm. uh, just super super good stuff well and then we have at the end of the second film the sovereign is ready you know to get yeah. them well yeah and then, as we do know, um, again, we're not getting into it to a great extent, mm-hmm. but they team up with Thor Yes. Um, at, during like the Infinity War and Endgame, which becomes very funny mm-hmm. because everyone instantly loves Thor sure. and wants to follow him because he's a god. Mm-hmm. And Peter is like suddenly feeling quite inadequate. <laughs> very, very funny stuff. Um, yeah, it's just these characters are great. I love them. Yeah, I think that covers everything. It probably doesn't cover everything, but it at least covers the main points that I think we wanted to hit. Yeah. Um, this is, these movies are the kind that you can just keep talking about because there's so many connections you can make and there's just so many wonderful things about them and, and themes and characters and I don't know, you could go on and on, but I'm looking forward to the story continuing. Yes. And well, and I mean, we're talking about two movies here, which are massive. Yeah. They're packed with information. Mm -hmm. And usually we dedicate an episode to one movie, you know, that's this big. And this time, this is so big. We're really trying to get it in the suitcase. Yeah, you know exactly. Well, and there's other things that I don't even want to tap into, like the Infinity Stones and all this kind of stuff. Because it just opens up even more movies and even bigger cans of worms. Um, but, uh, you know, at the same time, the most important thing I think in this is the music, the family, the color, yes, the characters and the pop culture kind of stuff. hundred percent. So, um, we did that and, you know, yeah, 
I love it, and I kind of just want to go listen to Brandy. I think that's a great song. Right? That's my favorite song from these two. I loved it before this, and I love it in this movie, too. Um, and it's funny because Ego kind of turns it into a thing where he's, you know, using that song to explain, you know, why he does what he does. And I think that was really interesting. It was very creepy. Because I love that song. Right. But at the same time, it's a real bummer of a song. Yeah. Because it's like this love song about people who aren't going to be together. Well, again, that goes back to like the 70s, 80s mentality. Yeah. I love the song Sister Golden Hair. Yeah. Sister Golden Hair is yeah. not a happy no. song. None of these songs are happy songs, but, well, Mr. Blue Sky feels like a happy song. I never heard that until I saw it. It was in some movie, and I really, really loved it in yeah. that movie. It wasn't this movie, but no, then whenever no. it pops up in another movie, I'm like... Yay, I love the song. Same. Oh, all right. So I guess to wrap up, what food would we associate comfort food that makes us think Guardians of the Galaxy? Comfort food for Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, what I would think about is a samosa. Okay. Because samosa, a favorite, right? And it is thick. It is big. It is stuffed with goodies. It's got a hard crust on the outside like a lot of our characters, you know. And then when you get on the inside, all the mushy stuff is there just like the rest of us, <laughs> you know. And you can use your different sauces. You can use your tamarind sauce or you can use your mint sauce. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you can you can make it a little tangy, you know. <laughs> a make a little minty. A good choice for everyone. Yeah. So it's like you can, you can go any way you, you want to with it. But it's... It stands alone. It's like a rock. It's its own. It's its own unit, and I'd say that's representative of individual characters in this, as well as the actual, you know, family. Because really, when you think about it, that hard shell is like Groot around the family in the first Guardians. Wow, deep. Yes, deep. And I love samosas. Me too. I want to get them now. I know. Now I'm like, hmm, well, what did we have a plan for dinner? Um, yeah, Ugh, samosas are the best. They are. Um, and I love tamarind sauce and you love the mint sauce. So mm -hmm. we're very happy because I get my own and you get your own. <laughs> <laughs> I would go a different way. Um, mm -hmm. I would pick the, in my opinion, 80s, 90s classic after school snack the star crunch oh i don't know if anybody knows what i'm talking about or if these still exist but basically if i'm remembering correctly it was kind of like this chocolate covered rice krispies around kind of a little caramel patty and they came in like individually wrapped in a snack box mm. and when i was growing up and I would get home from school. This was, like, after my mom and stepdad got married. So my stepdad, Joel, who really was the music guy, um, I would come home. We would pop into, like, the low cabinet where we kept snack cakes. Mm -hmm. And we, we always had Star Crunch there. So this is in space. Nice. So you got Star Lord, Star Crunch. Okay. It's kind of maybe one of the things that young Peter Quill might have had when he came home sure. from school as an after-school snack or, you know, a treat in his lunchbox every day. Um, and that's just, yeah, that's what I think about. 
I think that's perfect. And Star Crunch is something. There's like a voice in the back of my head. It's like Star Crunch. And I can vaguely remember it, but I can't wrap my brain around the memory. <laughs> I, I do remember this. I don't know if they exist anymore, but I do believe I was also a fan of this. Yeah, I mean, it was something that we always had when I was growing up that I don't really see too much in the store anymore. Like, regular grocery store doesn't seem to have that. They'll have some little Hostess snack cake donuts, or sure. like, you know, maybe there's Twinkies, although they were discontinued for a while. I think they're back. Mm -hmm. um, or the Swiss rolls. But when I was a kid, it seemed like there was a lot of options for these little snack cakes, like ding-dongs, zebra cakes, ho-hos star crunch yeah um, and we always would have these at my house well crap food was really in vogue when we were growing up <laughs> and i a lot of that stuff for me i don't even look at it anymore because i i shut it off yeah when i when i hit a certain point they were like no this stuff isn't good or this or that yeah and even beyond someone telling me it wasn't good for me, I felt there was actually, like, I don't know, maybe my taste buds changed or the recipe changed. They just didn't taste as good to there me anymore. There is, like, an artificial flavorness to these things. Mm -hmm. um, although I have to say Star Crunch was maybe an exception for me to that because it didn't have a cake inside it. Mm -hmm. um, it was more like the crunch around, like, a caramel so it didn't have like the cake aspect like a zebra cake or um, something like that where it had like the cake with like the hard kind of frosting around it. Okay. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like it does have more of an artificial thing, but sometimes I personally still have weird occasional craving for something like that that I haven't eaten in 25 plus years. Sure. But I still think about it sometimes and yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember when I used to have that. Like, you know, and I think a lot of people have these memories. Like, that's why people wanted to bring back 3D Doritos and mm -hmm. things like that, which I also liked. Or people wanted to drink Crystal Pepsi again or something. Yeah. And like, you think about these things with a, there's a nostalgia factor. And I think that that's probably why I picked that, that food. Because it's a little Debbie. It's like a nostalgia thing that I used to eat when I was a kid. And it has, like, this cosmic space connection um so yeah i think that was a good pick for this and i'll probably go online and see if that's something you can still buy somewhere because nice. um, i might want to eat one and see if it still tastes the same i think it's i would too it was totally grody well i just, i don't i kind of like i said there's this voice back here that kind of it's like oh yeah but i, I if you know. see it you might remember it more yeah but anyway anyway all right, well, that is our uh, episode on Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, and we hope you enjoyed it. Um, please go online and follow us on Instagram if you haven't already, and if you are already, we would love it if you would share one of our posts. Oh, um, yeah. Or share, you know, a link to our podcast, so some, you know, if you have somebody that might be interested in listening, we'd love to have some more listeners. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, next week we will be back with not the Batman, but a Batman. A Batman. Of some sort. And that'll be pretty cool. And if you feel really inspired, if you want to go on Apple Podcasts and write a glowing five-star review, we would say thank you. Yeah, that would be great. We yeah. would love to read that and yeah. pat ourselves on the back a little bit. <laughs> and just say, gee, we are great, aren't we? 
Yeah, we would love to just sit and, and reflect on how great we are. So, yeah. <laughs> if you want to contribute to that <laughs> ego stroke, right? we'll appreciate it. We would love you forever. <laughs> All right. On that note, thanks for listening, and stay comfy. Stay comfy, everybody. <laughs>